This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project that features artists and arts professionals discussing their work, ideas, and lives, offering listeners a forthright and unique understanding about the process, experiences, and people behind the artistic pursuit. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, long-form, and unscripted. Deep Color is supported by The Armory Show as it celebrates its 25th anniversary. The Armory Show is New York City's premier art fair and leading cultural destination for discovering and collecting the world's most important 20th and 21st century art. The fair features presentations by leading international galleries, innovative artist commissions, and dynamic public programs. Since its founding in 1994, The Armory Show has served as a nexus for the art world inspiring dialogue, discovery, and patronage in the visual arts. This episode profiles Christian Nagel. Christian has been a key gallerist and fair figure for almost three decades. In 1990, he founded gallery Christian Nagel in Cologne, and by 2002 had opened a second location in Berlin. Now operating as gallery Nagel Draxler, the gallery's roster includes artists that have been with the gallery since its inception, like Mark Dion and Andrea Frazier mid-career artists like Kadra Atia and Michael Boitler, as well as a younger generation of artists. Nagel was also a founding member of the Unfair Art Fair in Cologne, Art Forum Berlin, and Open Space at Art Cologne. This conversation was recorded at the 2019 Armory Show in the Media Lounge on Pier 94. Okay. Um, but the thing, that, uh, the thing that brought us here is the fact that this is the 25th anniversary of the Armory Show. And uh, you were there at the beginning in 1994 when Colin Delant and Pat Hearn and a number of other people got together and decided to put this art fair together uh, at the Gramercy Park Hotel. It has a longer history actually because there was uh, in I think 89 the Cologne Fair Mm -hmm. organized a group of younger galleries who normally could not participate because they have not been in long enough around. Yeah, There was always the duty between three or five years that you have the gallery and then you can be accepted. And then some people from Cologne Galleries organized a big show in a hall with younger galleries. Mm-hmm. And Pat Hearn and Colin were there. Okay. And they both had a good time. Yeah. For Colin it was really a starting kick for his career sure. in Europe. He sold a lot of works and he saw that an art fair makes sense. Ah. And can make sense. Myself, I was three times in Chicago okay. doing one-man show with Michael Krepper, Hans-Jörg Meyer and Josef Zera. And always before or after I passed through Cologne, uh, through New York, sorry. And then we met and I said, why do we have to go to this boring Chicago? Why don't you organize a fair? In New York? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was not me who said you should do it. Right. But it was one little step in their mind that they anticipated something like this. Yeah. And then they worked it out with all the other people. Right. So it was a conversation that you guys had as you're passing through yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, these, we knew, these fairs we knew in Chicago to, and, yeah. and uh, Cologne. Mm-hmm. How did you participate in the early versions of the of the of the fair at the Gramercy Park Hotel? Were you uh, 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 an art enthusiast? Were you a gallerist? Were no, you I just was a gallerist. I had a gallerist since yeah. 1990, okay. and I had a gallery before, which I was managing in Munich in Bavaria, 
for three years, so I was already five years working experience. I had already five years working experience, and we all thought how we can come up with new ideas. Mm -hmm. Of course, the art fair was not our new idea, right. but to make a new kind of art fair was our idea. And in Cologne, we did the unfair, which was another role model for these uh, things. Yeah. It was five years before the Liste, mm -hmm. and the Liste took over the idea because we stopped, which was good for us, mm -hmm. I think. And so we were planning and doing things outside of the galleries. Yeah, and the scale, I mean, the other thing we should mention is it wasn't called the Armory Show back then. It was No, Gramercy Park Fair. It w well, Gramercy yeah, the, the, Park Gramercy, the Gramercy International Art Fair, okay. according to my notes. No. Uh, and it was in a hotel, it wasn't in a big... Uh, convention center type space. No, like it we're was in now. the Gramercy Park Hotel. Yeah. And the Gramercy Park Hotel had a bar, which was Kippenberger's favorite bar. Ah. So we always stayed there. It yeah. was already connected to a little bit of an art smell, oh. so to yeah, speak. Yeah, that's wonderful. So the, the, the sort of <laughs> origin of the, of the reason for the fair to be there was the bar. <laughs> Maybe, I Maybe. don't know. But okay. at least we all knew the place yeah. in Cologne. Yeah, it was familiar. When we spoke to Kittenberg, yeah. I always said we have to go to yeah. the Park Hotel Bar. So the Armory Show website <coughs> has a, a really wonderful history of the early days. Mm -hmm. It's a button you can click on their website. And one of the things they have on there is the floor plan from the, the, the first couple years of the fair when it was at the hotel. And I have it here. When you look at this, by my count, there's 35 galleries or so spread yeah. out between three floors. And each gallery or artist put on their presentation in a hotel room. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the scale of this and the sort of intimacy of this relative to where we are now, I mean, I have the current map, which if you open it up for the 2019 Armory Fair, it's massive. There's over 200 galleries here. There's 35 galleries. Uh, this is a normal fair as yeah. we have it all over the world these right. days. And we That's had it already in the, yeah. in the 60s, 70s. You know, the Basel Fair, the Cologne Fair, they did have this plan also sure then yeah sure I guess my you know that was my long-winded setup to ask <laughs> you did you anticipate that the scale of the uh, the first fairs in the mid 90s would lead to where we are now how do you feel about the growth and development I had no idea what would happen when it stopped but I hope that they do a real fair yeah mm -hmm. with buses and in a bigger hall and when they started out in the Gramercy no, not Gramercy, in the armory building where the soldiers are, yeah. in the real armory building. Yeah. That was in 1999 when this they were there. The, yeah, yeah, this was the first one. I was pretty happy, but I also saw already that it's not big enough. And yeah. I expected from then that it could be a big affair. Yeah, and with, with a larger space <laughs> means uh, more ambitious projects for galleries and more ambitious projects for artists as well. Correct, but also just another number, a bigger number. Let's talk about... Pat Hearn and Colin Deland. Um, you were collaborators, friends. What, what are your memories of, of, of these two important figures from the fair's history? Very good memories. Uh, we all met. They did the gallery much longer than mm -hmm. I did. In these days, we were young, so five years was longer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's not so long. Uh, and they, uh, Pat had this successful gallery with the paintings mm -hmm. and uh, with uh, moving to East Village and having their very glamorous gallery. I remember when I first went there, I was really a little bit afraid to walk there yeah, because it was not the nicest oh, area. Oh, you were worried about safety? Yeah, yeah. not safety, but uh, yeah. I'm not normally attacked. <laughs> so sure, sure. Uh, it's not the problem, but it was a little bit strange and uh, a lot of ruins and a lot of dark streets and things like this. Yeah. And then you enter this very beautiful 
white space gallery, white yeah. cube gallery. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was exciting. Pat, I did not really know myself oh, these okay. days because okay. I met Colin in 1986. I was here for the first time. I visited most of the important and not so important galleries and everywhere I went, everybody told me, this is the best artist you can see now. Yeah. This is a very good show. This is the most exciting blah, blah, blah. Yeah? And um, I was uh, not so impressed because a lot, I don't think, I, I think it did not really tell the truth. It was yeah. not the most exciting. It was not right. the most exciting. There's a little yeah. bit of salesmanship. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. It was yeah. this uh, American, New York uh, nah, pretension yeah, that yeah. we always the best. And yeah. <laughs> then... Um, I met, I went into this gallery in the East Village, a very small shop. I saw stones on the floor. On the stones there was wet bread. It was a Peter Hutchinson, so I discovered later. And then this gentleman, Colin Deland, passed around my back and said, forget this, this is not important. Uh -huh. I show you something else. <laughs> and I said, my God, where are you? <laughs> they does not say it's the best piece I ever saw, yeah. And I liked this immediately. So we had a very good chemistry from the beginning. Even if I knew, I can only speak from my side, sure. that we are not a hundred percent buddies. Yeah. Yeah? yeah, he was something else. He was much more avant-garde. He was much more fashionable. He was much more a character. I don't want to say he looked better than me, <laughs> but uh, yeah. nah, he was somebody. He was, was a handsome man. <laughs> yeah, he was. Not that you're not handsome, man, but you know but what I'm saying. <laughs> but he was something. And later he showed me his wife, and then I met Pat. Oh, okay. So, and then we had all together always dinners, lunches, and speeches or discussions in the gallery, also in Cologne right. and outside in Basel and wherever. Right. And we, we got along together very well, and we worked several things out. I was already aware about Andresa Fraser and Mark Dyne without Colin, but when I contacted them for the first time, they were with Colin. So then we had already something in common, and then later he showed people like Cosima and Stefan Dillimut right. and Miss Norman and Merlin Carpenter were more connected to my gallery. Right, and a little more context, the name of Colin's gallery was American Fine Art, yeah. and uh, Mark Dion was one of the artists uh, that, that uh, he represented and showed. Um, and I had the privilege of speaking with Mark a couple days ago mm -hmm. uh, in the same setting. Yeah. And we talked about his uh, lemonade stand that he presented at one of the early uh, iterations of the Armory Show in the Gramercy Park Hotel. And I have this picture of, of he, and I believe this is you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about this moment and Mark's lemonade stand installation and, and sort of what you... First, I have yeah. to say it was not the first event, it was the okay. third event. It was the third event, yeah. okay. And in the third event, American Fine Art and Christian Nagel Gallery put it together. We collaborated. Ah, okay. We make a joint venture. Yeah, okay. He put artists in my space and I put artists in his space. Sure. And the lemonade booth from Mark, with whom we showed both, was so-called the uh, yeah. conjunction. Yeah, yeah, a collaboration. Yeah, a collaboration. And uh, yeah, we sold uh, the, the material there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, to pivot into the here and now, the actual lemonade stand that was shown 20 some odd years ago yeah. is set up here in this kind of uh, homage uh, presentation that you're, you're, you're hosting next door. Talk about mm -hmm. the, the works that are in there, the artists that you're presenting, 
and how they connect to the history and, and why it's important to show them now. It was a Zufall chance because there was the show in Bard College, there were other things, the publication, there was also a publication from the German art market history department where we sent photos and then we not rediscovered the piece. I knew that it was there, right? but nobody knew where is it. So the lemonade stand. Yeah. yeah. And then we discovered that it's in the storage of Tanja Bonakta and yeah. we've worked something out that we could get it and uh, so we did it yeah. because I thought it's a good thing for an art fair because it has this interactive situation and on the um, vernissage, on the opening, it worked really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got in line, got a glass of lemonade. <laughs> With Think or without? Uh, without, uh, yeah, without uh, the booze that you had available. I had to stay sharp for, no, th for yeah. these conversations. Okay, <laughs> Maybe later we'll get that. But, um, you know, the other two artists uh, that, that, are, that have presentations are Andrea Frazier and Renee Green. Talk mm -hmm. about their work and, and the pieces that, that are on view right now. Now, yeah, we, show, uh, we try to show pieces from the days. You know, we could show other videos by Andrea but we said we show the first really important piece, the museum highlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the "May I Help You" was shot in Collins Gallery. Oh yes, what you see there yeah. is Collins Gallery with the surrogates of Ellen McCallum, with the actor who did it there every day. So this is a real history thing about Collins. Right. And the other history thing we brought was the tent by René Green, mm -hmm. the pigskin library. Who worked with Pat Hearn. She worked with Pat Hearn, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we have, okay, we have two artists from Colin and one <laughs> from Pat, but right. the piece is much bigger than the other two, so it, this does not matter. It's a, we tried to let the work speak. Yeah. Nowadays, when you see representation of the past, mm -hmm. you have a lot of photos and uh, some smaller text and maybe some interviews and some details, and you see this, the works uh, like stamps, you know. Right. They are reproduced small next to whatever. And we wanted to say, here are really important work out of these days and here you have the chance to see them again and maybe American museums where these work I think belong to should think of acquiring yeah. one or two or three. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. I spent some time with, with both uh, the Fraser videos mm -hmm. and I was able to interact with Renee Green's um, installation piece where you can sort of slide the, mm -hmm. the forms out of the sort of... Uh, you know, storage containers that are on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the tent, and there's a little bit of sound piece coming mm -hmm. out of the tent mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Really wonderful works. Uh, let's and this yeah. tent has not been shown for 30 years. It hasn't been shown for 30 years. It was in a collection in uh, Germany, mm -hmm. middle Germany, and now we put it back again and show it here. Great. Let's pivot towards your current gallery, uh, Gallery Nagel Draxler. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about how that came to be and maybe even to begin how you became interested in in art and and selling art and becoming an art dealer you want to talk me now about Nagel Draxler or you want to talk me about the early days of the gallery uh, of my gallery alone let's start with your gallery thanks for correcting me with yeah. with, with, with your gallery uh, in in Cologne in Cologne yeah I come from Munich I studied art history in Munich for me it was always clear that they wanted to go into contemporary art mm -hmm. And after three, four years of art history, I made a practicum internship in Krefeld, in the Kaiser Wilhelm Museum, a very important place where 
Yves Klein had his first show, where Richter did a lot, where Polke did a lot. It was really one of these smaller museums mm -hmm. who do things with Paul Wember, who was the director these days, early on. And they had a collection paid by a private person. And it was so amazing when I visited that I said, can I do internship? Right. And there I really learned it. Oh, through an internship. Yeah. Great. I, I worked with the pieces. I insulated a ping pong table by Claes Oldenburg. I wrote a text about Richard Tuttle, Aya Pink, and other people. So I was into something. I did not have to work about a painting of Giorgione mm -hmm. and s write 20 pages about Giorgione or Titian or whatever. Yeah, And this brought me nearer to my idea. And then another important thing was that the School of Art History, mm -hmm. the building, was next to the Academy oh, okay. yeah, of Art. So there was a cafeteria. I went to the cafeteria and met the artist. Ah, yeah? Yeah. Not all of them were really the greatest artists that I can continue to show them or sure. that, I, that I showed them at all. But there was a good feeling yeah. and there was a good thing going on. Yeah. And I met my partner there, mm -hmm. which, 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 I had, which with I worked in the first gallery in Munich in okay. 86. He was called Matthias Buck and we had a discussion about Palermo. Mm -hmm which for me is always, or these days, was always a test. Somebody who understands Palermo understands art. Yeah, yeah. In a way, yeah? yeah. Not, not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we decided to do a gallery mm -hmm. in the Stuck Villa. Franz von Stuck was a painter, like Franz von Limbach. They both had big villas in Munich, and one of these villas was a Roman villa. And there was our gallery, which not our gallery, uh, all the galleries passed it on to us and gave us two years to work in. And we started with Klecken Gutmann, Martin Kippenberger, Franz Westheim, Zuber, Nick Thomas Locher. We did not show students, friends, right. or anybody from Munich. We showed a generation before us. Yeah. We were 25, Kippenberger was 33. Yeah. Yeah. We showed yeah. Harold, we showed Ferg. Yeah. We showed Alan Belcher, we showed Peter Nagy. We got an impact to uh, New York. We showed David Robbins. Yeah. And uh, from this, we had... Uh, attention to younger people mm -hmm. because the older artists mostly know the younger people because they're either assistant students or whatever yeah or connected yeah, yeah? and there we heard all these names and from these names we worked out an own program we showed Kreba we showed Farida Mali we showed others and then we had a big fight ah. <laughs> so I went off mm -hmm. and finished my studies doing a master thesis on the history of avant-garde gallery in France, 1830 till 1914, from the school of Barbizon to Kahnweiler, and opened the gallery in Cologne with yeah. Cosima von Bonin, Michael Kreber, Josef Zierer, and Klecken Gutmann and Heimo Zobernick, and yeah. this were the first, was the first round, so to speak. Wow, that's a great history. And I also like hearing that it started sort of as an internship, and then the proximity the of where you're studying. gave me yeah. some power, you know, yeah. I mean, or gave me intellect. Because yeah. I, nobody knew what it was about, you know, in Munich, for the, there were other people in discussion than in the Rhineland. Yeah. 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 And then that with, with the social aspect of meeting people in the cafeteria and the proximity of the, the two buildings that you were spending time in. I mean, what a great example of how important it is to like sort of be around other people mm -hmm. that are interested in similar yeah. things. Absolutely. I mean, that's really great. Let's, let's pivot to the gallery now. Um, so, uh, Nagel Draxler opened when? When did this sort of shift take place to this current current gallery? 
uh, I met Saskia Draxler privately in 205. Okay. And immediately we got along very well. Mm -hmm. Of course, first privately, but then also business-wise. Professionally, yes. And she helped me in the gallery, and she was also looking around, and she maybe uh, wanted to open her own gallery, and then we discussed, and I said, before you open your own gallery, maybe we join. Yeah. And then we joined, and it was great that she came. She really saved the gallery in a moment where maybe my strength was not enough to do it myself. It was too late, it was difficult. Uh, most difficult thing is not to start, it's to bring the people to the midcar here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then still continue. Yeah. yeah. And the 90s were never a time where we sold much. Mm. We could always survive. We always were near not the bankruptcy, but money was short. Yeah. 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 And everything had to be uh, yeah. an art fair which did not bring anything brought us again nearer to the uh, sure. problem area. Yeah. Mm. But in the end we survived and when Saskia came she brought a big impact intellectually and also some uh, uh, financial support sure and then we could do it together and then we worked it all off yeah, yeah. We could, and now it's okay that's great it's better it's really good but nah, we're not a mega gallery so to speak yeah yeah <laughs> well talk about your how you uh, cultivate relationships with artists you know an important part of working running a gallery is is maintaining and cultivating relationships with artists yeah. talk about how you you build these relationships with artists and and sort of the role of the gallerist as business partner colleague friend a parent sometimes i mean there's like some parenthood that takes place when you're working with artists i think but talk about these relationships yeah. first i say something bad okay artists cannot have friends <laughs> artists cannot have friends yeah, because Why not? in the end they always go for themselves yeah a friend sometimes say Mm -hmm. I neglect my things and I'm not hurt, I'm not uh, angry, I'm not frustrated. But I know for their work they have to be the turbo machine yeah. who goes for the ego. Yeah. A turbo machine who goes for the ego cannot really be a friend. Yeah. Or they're Maybe not with the gallerist. <laughs> or they're just difficult to be around. Yeah. Difficult but individuals to yeah, be around. But with some people I have good friendship yeah. situations. but. I think that when it comes to the point of a yeah. problem, it goes away very fast. Yeah. With an old school friend, if you still have contact, if you see him, yeah. there's a, uh, this is a different friendship. Sure. And this I would call friendship. Yeah. And this is also when you say, I have two or three friends in my life. Sure. Yeah. Sure. These are friends. The American are very fast with, I am my friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is something else. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but to yeah. come back to your question, of course, you have to spend a lot of time with the artist, and I also say that I learned a lot with artists. Mm -hmm. And in the earlier days, this meant, especially in Cologne, going to the bar, drinking Kölsch, <laughs> <laughs> having a good condition, yeah. staying there till five o'clock in the morning, and then Kippenberger said, now I give you a lesson. And he really gave me a lesson, what I should do, what I should do, blah, 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 and, blah, blah, blah. and other people, he gave you a lesson on the work. Oh, they also give you lessons on the strategy. Strategy, yeah? okay. I mean, I once had a car ride from Stuttgart to München with Günther Ferg in the back. Okay. And he was constantly speaking. It was like uh, better than reading a book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a classroom yeah. for you, <laughs> that car ride. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. This gallerist, this artist, this collector, this museum person, if you do two or three, and the most important thing is that you do 
two or three with ten people, mm -hmm. not only listen to one person. Right. Yeah. And yeah, this is the oral history, or this is the oral knowledge, or this is the oral uh, thing. And you know. Of course, I studied, of course, I read and I read, and uh, you have some books and you have some things, but all in all, you get more from this part of being with the artists, right. being with the curators, being with the collectors, being with people who know, yeah? Yeah. Then you can really read. And, uh, you know, it sounds like being in the same space with <coughs> them, too. I mean, this goes back to the social aspect of that cafeteria. Yeah. You're in a, in a, in a car having a real interaction mm -hmm. versus... You know, I'm thinking of contemporary ways of car communicating. Car rides are always uh, car important, ride, yeah. you know, if, yeah. you if you sit five hours next to each other. Some people say, why are the people always so stupid in the plane? They sit six, seven, eight hours next to each other and don't speak to each other, yeah? So if you speak, of course, then you know the people and you can ask better questions and better have a better conversation yeah. and you get something out. You know? That's great. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, when I have an opportunity to sit down with an art dealer, um, as an artist, I'm always curious on their strategies for selling artwork. And there's a great uh, Dave Hickey quote where he says, if you can't sell a handful of air, you have no business being an art dealer in this sort of magic trick of selling art. Can you talk about some of the things that you do to, to place artworks and connect uh, collectors with artworks? First, I think a real collector has a gene inside. Yeah. And they come and they do it by themselves. Ah, okay. Yeah. They enter the gallery, they see a piece, they ask for it, they buy it, or they come back next time, and they want something, and they do the work themselves. And of course, you advise them, and you show them everything else, and you show um, something uh, <laughs> next to it, or something before it, or some other options, but, but so you, you, you give them the best you can do. Yeah. yeah? The thing with the so-called advertisement, <laughs> Yeah. Trying to convince a collector you don't know is better if you have people like Andrea Fraser, René Green, Kippenberger, Oehlen, or whatever, who have already a history. Some established yeah, uh, yeah, artists. Yeah, yeah. 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 Then, then you can also be sure that you at least get an answer from a museum director if you write him, are you interested in this, in that piece? It's very difficult. When I was young, yeah, I took my book. We had no uh, laptop these days, yeah. so I took these books, Mark also presented in his booth, and I had Kerber, Bonin, Fraser, and Christian Philipp Müller, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I went to Krefeld, where I did my practicum, my, my internship, and said, now I'm coming back as a dealer, can I show you the work? Yeah. So I showed it, disaster. <laughs> 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 so it's... Tricky, and of course, uh, if you build up the society things with the money, mm -hmm. and if you have this uh, uh, beautiful, um, pseudo-beautiful thing around the whole art pieces, yeah. then you might be able to do it in a good way. Mm -hmm. yeah? And we also can do this. Therefore, we do art fairs. Right. Yeah? Therefore, we contact people we don't know and try to find a possibility sure. to uh, get in contact and tell them, yeah. But the situation is you cannot really talk somebody into something when they don't want it. That's right. Or if they don't have a little positive attitude towards the gallery, towards the artist, towards the artwork, this mm -hmm. is the most important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you can find out whether it makes sense. And then sometimes after half a year, you get a yes, but you can also get a no, so right. yeah. I don't believe so much in all these uh, marketing ideas about 
contemporary art. Okay. Yeah, because the people we constantly work and we constantly live from are professional enough that they can make up their own right. things. And uh, these are people with money. These are people with not so much money. This can be everybody. But uh, uh, selling something like in the supermarket, I don't think is really possible. Right. It sounds like you are, you put a real emphasis on developing a relationship yeah. with the collector yeah. too. Yeah. Um, let's shift over to how you present the work. Let, can you talk about your approach, uh, you know, presenting uh, someone's work at an art fair versus presenting an artist's work in uh, a gallery space? Um, what sorts of things do you now consider? Yeah, this is, this yeah. is easy. The gallery show the artist does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they invite it, they get a carte blanche. Mm -hmm. If they sometimes not really sure to do it this or that way, put something more in or leave something out, we can give an advice. Right. Yeah. There's a little but bit of direction. Yeah, in yeah. There. But yeah. all over, it's the artist thing. So the artist. I also think that the gallery is more or less the first and most important production situation of the artist. Okay. After the studio, if he has or she has a studio, sometimes they don't even have sure. a studio anymore. Yeah. Then the gallery is that place where everything can be done. Mm -hmm. Later on, there's a museum show, but sometimes the museum people say, help me, artist, or sometimes they say, we do it, or sometimes the artist passed away. So, uh, but the gallery is the really important thing. Right. Yeah, and the, the art fair is always the question, what do you do? Do you emphasize on less, or do you show two pieces more which you might be able to sell if you hang them up? Yeah? So sometimes we have booths really full. Yeah? And sometimes we have peop uh, booths not so full. If you go now to the independent, where we also have a booth, mm -hmm. you see that this can be also a minimalistic. It's more minimal there. Yeah. 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 So there is no rule, but you have to make it somehow possible in a good way. But everybody who is in an art fair tries to do this. Right. It sounds like the artist is uh, driving the the presentation at the gallery more, but mm -hmm. at an art fair, the gallery is maybe taking more of a leadership role. Yeah. The artist yeah. should not even come to the fair. Why not? It's hurting. Yeah, uh, you for know, the artist, not sure, for me. <laughs> sure. I mean, connected to that, there's a great John Baldessari quote where he says, "An artist walking into an art fair is not unlike a teenager walking in on their parents having sex." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know this. Yeah. yeah, there's. I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, awkwardness, uh, you know, in artist artist experiences in an art fair. Uh, you know, the re relationship is very complex, a lot of anxiety, mm. um, you know, envy creeps in there a little bit, which is something, you know, we always are trying to push back into the, into the, no, this is, yeah, these talk are about this a little bit. These are chicken stables. Chicken stables. Yeah. <laughs> and the artworks end up like over there, 30 centimeters to 30 centimeters. Mm -hmm. And the artist, I think, suffer when they see their work presented like this yeah. or they even suffer when they see other work presented sure. like this and then the repetition of 100 200 250 booths mm -hmm. which all have the same situation um is is not good for the artist and even look even the artist there's some artists i don't want to mention names who like to be social they have a certain kind of costume everybody and there's no stem. Like they're putting on a performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if they go to art fairs, they make a big thing around it. Yeah. yeah. But even they give up. Yeah. No, they, they do it for one, two, three years, and then they're not showing up anymore. Yeah, yeah. They lose interest. So or even something. the even the strong ones in doing really yeah. bad presentation of themselves. Sure. See that there is no. Yeah. And of course, sometimes they come by and do something like Mark or something other performance. Blah blah blah. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, you mentioned uh, the artist studio and, and production that takes place in the artist studio. Let's 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 talk about when you visit artists in their studios. That's another re reoccurring theme in my project. I'm mm -hmm. always uh, wondering how uh, gallerists operate during studio visits. What are you looking for when you visit an artist artist studio? How much work do you want to see? Uh, what what things do you want to talk about? When I visited Andrea Fraser, I met her in uh, Soho, West Broadway, in a coffee because she had no studio. In a cafe, yeah. yeah. And a year later we did a show and she showed a retrospective. That's amazing. <laughs> no studio. Yeah. This was the non-post-studio generation. Well, she was also like. did a lot of video work yeah, and yeah. site-specific yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, a studio... Mm. Yeah, I mean, yes, you need yeah. some editing work so, and things like that. But then you, of course, visit a painter or right. a more classically traditional orientated installation guy or uh, woman and... Um, sculpture then you go to the studio and then yeah what do you say uh, I do you want to see a lot of work do you want to see just the it strongest things no 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 Th yeah. that strongest thing is that's subjective not I in know. The, it's not in the studio it's okay yeah where is it in a collection in it's a already gallery. it's already out there yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. So you cannot say, bring this back, or I like your piece from two years ago, yeah. where is it? When you do this, yeah, sometimes yeah. they say, yeah, it's here. Right. Yeah? But mostly it's out. Yeah. yeah. When you're in a studio and there's maybe a work in progress, can you see that greatness before it's resolved? I mean, that great work, uh, that strong work, can you see it happening? Is that something that you want to see, works in progress and, yeah, and things no. that are almost there? I tell you another story. When I go to Los Angeles years ago, when I went to go to uh, Los Angeles, I had a driver and I had 10 addresses. So I saw a lot of studios and yeah. I saw a lot of work and I had a lot of discussions and I had a, basically, uh, I found not many people. Some I found, yeah. With Sterling Ruby, there was also no studio visit. It was a visit in the show in the, in the, in the art school. Yeah? Oh. Yeah, so it can so be. So you went to a more like formal presentation yeah, space, yeah, a gallery, yeah, yeah, an yeah, institution, yeah, yeah. I see. And once uh, my driver, Stephanie Taylor, who I did not visit in the studio before, but then later, I gave a show. So mm -hmm. the studio visit is not always a successful story, but yeah. it is a story where you meet the people. Yeah. Yeah, and you ask, where do you come from? Where did you study? What is this about? And what and material is that? Yeah, a little. Are bit. you interested in that? The materials yeah, and, but and how these things are made. I like more. What are your favorite artists? Uh, yeah. What books do you read? What kind of theory? What music? Uh, eh? Yeah. And the material also, of course, you go and touch something sure. if you're allowed to, and you see, and and and, and, and the paintings can be hundred paintings when they are stored in the store. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you get it out. Yeah. GPW three, for example. Yeah. Sari Gomez. They all had a lot of works in the studio sure. discussed sure discovered something yeah so sarah gomez is a, a you know you know a relative relatively younger artist yeah. um you know one of the things i that that i that i really appreciated when i was doing research on your gallery is you, that you talk about being a gallery that has a past present and future so you're showing work from artists of different generations how do you pull in the younger generation what do you yeah why well, talk about that yeah I mean, Los Angeles was always a town which attracted me. After I have been 10 years in New York, uh, constantly uh, uh, one or two weeks mm -hmm. by time. And then I went to Los Angeles and I saw that something is going on there because a lot of people move there for the uh, uh, cheaper studios. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people leaving New York to go to LA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a well-traveled uh, road. And uh, then 
the chance to meet somebody there who is younger is a little bit higher than here. It's just, I always had the impression that you cannot stop. Michael Werner only showed the generation of Baselitz, Polke, Penk and these people, yeah, and he never had any younger or woman artist, yeah. Hmm. And other people did the same, and other people try to find a new generation. And uh, of course, as older you get and as longer you do it, as less you can fulfill the whole survey. Sure. But you can find interesting people. Mm-hmm. And we do this. We go to Beijing, we go to Paris, we go there and here, and we, we, we look. And sometimes we uh, give quite a lot of people entrance to the gallery because there's also uh, something happening and there's maybe a gap and there's a need for younger situations and sometimes you have to continue to work with the material you have and then you cannot enter yeah right too many humans but if you see something which really is extraordinary and we try to do it yeah, yeah. Well, you know you, you mentioned earlier a little bit about collecting let's let's talk more about collecting you know, collecting, I feel like, has really turned into a phenomenon in the past 20, 25 years. Um, talk about how collecting has changed and, and, and working with collectors and, and maybe what you think is responsible for this, this, this huge growth in collecting contemporary art. Skull. Scale? Skull, the pop art collector, was oh. it? The, the taxi driver Oh, yes. Person. Yeah. Yeah? Skull, yeah. Okay, yeah? yep. He was one of the first who bought the pop art. Okay, yeah. And he said, I'm a taxi driver, a business person. Mm -hmm. And he bought what he knew from the supermarket on the canvas. Mm -hmm. Stupidly (laughs) described, yeah? Yeah. And with this, he said, I'm not with the New York school from the 50s from uptown. I'm somebody else. Yeah. So he did something for his own identification. Right. He's a bit of an outsider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not an outsider in the... uh, Psycho uh, uh, way, ne? Sure. Yeah, but but he uh, no, he did something uh, with the art for his own identification. Mm-hmm. The guy from Vella, hairspray mm-hmm. in Germany, Ströer, he collected uh, Viennese uh, early century drawings, mm-hmm. Klimt, blah blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Then somebody came and said, "Buy Boys." Joseph Boys. Yeah. Yeah. He did this. His relative wanted to send him to the nut house. <laughs> I hope this is not a bad word, yeah? But yeah. Nah? No, because, I understand. Because they said, uh, he's so crazy that he spends our heritage on Josef Beuys and yeah. other things that we have to get rid of him. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. But these were identifications. The people were more or less business person, industrialists who had a more stable bourgeois political mm-hmm. attitude. Right. But with the contemporary art, they brought something in to their life, which was something else. Mm-hmm. Also Peter Ludwig. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that the big collectors these days have this attitude. They like it. They understand what you can do with it. They can fill Venice with their things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can build museums here and there. Mm-hmm. They get famous. But I don't think that there is a necessarily very personal approach to the situation of collecting. But this is not a dogma. Right. There is certainly people who still do this, and, uh, and like everything else in our life, 
there are different approaches and different reasons right. and so i don't want to say but I, I i somehow because i studied the 60s very much yeah so that there was something like eh, the bank is jumping itself uh, society does not need art right yeah this will be the next problem mm -hmm. yeah. yesterday when or two days ago when we, we when i introduced myself to you uh, i noticed you came over to charge your phone here right <laughs> and this is my this is sort of my my setup to talk to you about uh, um, technology and how we consume images and social media you know you walk around the fair here and everyone's documenting what they see taking selfies in front of the pictures you strike me as someone that doesn't quite subscribe to that way of consuming images and artwork talk about how technology is sort of affecting things I always say we have 5,000 friends of the gallery in the Facebook yeah, yeah. we have so and so many people who look at the painting we have at our booth and then there are 1300 likes which right. is not even much yeah. right but there's never an answer a call an email what does this thing cost or can i still get it yeah so this is all about a big uh, time killing thing and of course a lot of people can work with it very well and it's right. not time killing only but for a lot this is like a, well, like watching 14 hours tv now yeah. they do something with uh, no, I, I tend to agree. I think it's yeah. a, it's not a great metric yeah. to measure the success of an artwork or the importance of an artwork. Yeah. Um, and, and what what can we do when when in '92, mm -hmm. when I had a gallery in Cologne, early, Michael Grome said there will be no more gallery in five years, and there will no more paper in the office, and there will no more blah 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 and blah mm -hmm. blah blah. They're good. If we give up the gallery, if we give up the museum, uh, if we give up the concert hall, yeah? Yeah. Uh, that would be awful. It's not a really nice life anymore. No, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, having real interactions with the, yeah. these, these cultural centers is incredibly important. Yeah, and some things you have to see and some things you have to touch. Yeah? Sure, sure. We get a lot of JPEGs of work. Mm -hmm. And when we really decide, should we show it? Should we do something with it? Should we buy it? Should we... Well, then we go and see it, if sure. it's possible. Sure, yeah. sure. Let's talk about culture a little bit. What's the last piece of culture that you saw or read or heard or experienced in some capacity that you had a visceral response to, that you were really moved by? Does anything come to mind? Uh, we, we went to the Fledermaus opera, uh, Operette at the uh, concert hall uh, in Hamburg. In Hamburg, Germany? Yes, yeah. Germany, which was built by Herzog de Maron. Uh -huh. It's a very nice concert hall building the rest is uh, more like a cheap hotel yeah <laughs> it, it was nice this was something right i don't do often so i mentioned this yeah no no that's that sounds great what's on the horizon what projects are coming your way what are you looking forward to what would you love to do maybe it's not even uh, a realized uh, idea yet but uh, a dream perhaps oh uh, we go to hong kong soon yeah <laughs> Then we have uh, uh, Cologne and then we have Basel. Are these fairs? These are all fairs. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I would like to do, I don't know. I would like to stop. Yeah. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> we are still necessary and uh, really important because our gallery and some other galleries and some other people who do this more uh, left-wing orientated art are important to be continued sure because i don't see many followers from the younger thing there mm -hmm. are some yeah but also small mm -hmm. and somebody has to at least 
ähm, behaupten, state that the money has not taken over the arts. And therefore we cannot stop. And now we have to see how we can continue. We are now quite successful. The people know us, they know us also before. We have a good infrastructure and system and we can fulfill more and more demands, especially also in the museum world. And uh, as long as people spend 72 millions on Francis Bacon, our position is necessary. Christian, I hope, I hope you don't stop. Thank you for sitting down and talking with me here and, and sharing some of your memories and the history from, from the early days of the Army Show. And uh, let's go get a spiked lemonade. Okay. Thank you for you. And it was a great interview, I think. Uh, thank you for the very interesting questions and uh, for correcting me and everything. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Christian. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening, and check back soon for a new episode.